Well, good morning. We'll let these kids get out of here and enjoy their time. I want to ask you a question. Did you know that there's a whole world that your five senses don't interact with? Did you know that? There's a whole world that your five senses don't interact with. There's a reality in many ways that is, that is even more real than the one that we can see, touch, taste, smell, and hear. And today we're going to continue our series entitled This Is Us. This is a series where we're talking about just the basic foundational principles and teachings that we believe as a church, as Evangel Church. This is us. This is what the foundations are. I was in the hospital a few weeks ago to visit one of our dear sisters, um, Pat. And it was a great visit, and, and as we were sitting there, Pat was telling me a little bit of her history, some of her story. And so she was sharing how well, she had moved to Powell River, and she got involved in the youth group, and she's just kind of sharing a little bit of her journey of faith. What was interesting about this particular visit is the neighbor across the curtain from her, got up out of his bed, and he came over and he sat down right beside us. And so Pat's here, and I'm talking with her, and he sits down in the chair right in the corner of the room and begins to just simply listen. And we're talking about the Lord, and we're talking about Pat's journey of faith. And then out of nowhere, he asks this question, looking just dead in my eyes, and he had an interesting just, just voice. And he asked the question, what do you know about quantum consciousness? <laughs> and, and in the moment, I had to admit, I had a general sense, but I didn't really know what he was kind of alluding to in his question. And, and so I asked him, why don't you tell me about quantum consciousness? And he, he went on to share about this this world, this realm, this consciousness that we don't often see, hear, taste, touch, all of that. And that him being in the hospital and him walking and wrestling with the questions of his mortality, he was much more aware of quantum consciousness. Well, what do you think I said? I said, I believe in that too. Let me tell you about a world that we cannot see, taste, hear, touch, or quantify here. And I began to talk about the spirit. I, I began to talk about the eternal. I began to talk about Jesus. I began to talk about God, the creator of all things that exists outside of this world, in this world, but also outside of this world, and outside of time, exists within eternity. And so if, you, if you're a praying person, um, I don't know if you'll ever listen to this, or, but you know what, his name is Bernard, and I would ask you to pray with me. That God would continue to reach Bernard. I had an opportunity to pray for him after this time. He was very uncomfortable with that. But he, he gave me permission to do it. And, and it was weird. And, but we did it. 
The spiritual world is real. And it's a place of battle where we have, to, we have a very real enemy named Satan who is doing his very best to mar and to destroy humanity. And there are angels and there are demons. And, and when I say this, I'm talking not in a metaphysical sense. Here, here's often what happens when we talk about heaven and hell, angels and demons. What we do is we, we take what we know to be true about this world. Some of the things that we cannot explain. Some of the things that we just know to be true, but they're metaphysical. They're not quantitative. We can't take science and quantify it. We're not talking about allegory to explain the human condition. We're not talking about metaphors that help us comprehend the metaphysical and the things we cannot explain with science. We're talking about a reality. This is true. There is a spiritual world and there's a battle that exists and there is a Satan who is an enemy of our soul and there are angels and there are demons and today we're going to explore this reality. Now, with that said, what we're not going to do is we're not going to glorify demonic activity in any way. Okay? Sometimes we can, we can start talking about, like, the demonic and start, and, and it actually, have you ever been in those, like, share circles where people talk about their experiences? And at the end, you almost feel dirty because you almost felt like you glorified it. We're not going to glorify the enemy. Because he doesn't deserve any glory in any way, shape, or form. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to underestimate the enemy of our soul either. We're not going to underestimate him. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus has equipped and released you with discernment and authority. Jesus has equipped you with discernment and authority. So let's give definition to, to what we mean about angels and demons. Angels and demons are both created beings. In fact, the demonic beings of this world were once angels in the service of God. So what happened? What happened? Satan, the originator of sin, was the most beautiful of all created beings. His name was Lucifer, which is actually translated the morning star. He was beautiful. He was a leader of worship in the heavens. Ezekiel 28, if you're taking notes, we're not going to jump into it because there's a lot there. But if you want to have a bit, a bit of an idea of the narrative, the history of Satan, go to Ezekiel 28 and read that chapter. It'll give you a great kind of narrative of what happens. But he was a worship leader. His job was to lead others in the worship of God. In fact, Ezekiel describes him as a cherub. A cherub in the Old Testament was an angel guardian of the presence of God. This is who Lucifer was. This was his role. However, because God has established free will and true worship and love, how many know true worship and love don't happen without free will in place? If there's no free will, then you're just simply an artificial intelligence that is programmed to love and to worship. And that's not love and that's not worship. How do you know that? Love requires free will. Worship requires free will. And so God gives free will. And Lucifer, things go sideways in his heart 
and in his mind. And he begins to believe that he is greater than God. He is greater than the God who created him to be the leader of worship. And a rebellion began to take root in his heart, and he led a rebellion against God. At its very base, everything that is dark in this world, everything that Satan and his demonic army do against humanity is rooted at its very foundation in rebellion. It's rooted in rebellion. And Ezekiel 28, it describes this story of the fall of Satan, once Lucifer. Those that we call angels are those created beings that, that maintain their devotions to their creator. And, and those that we call demons are those who rebelled on that day with Satan. And they were cast down. They were cast down to the earth. Now I want to stop here before I go on because our tendency, particularly in this culture, in Western society, is take these stories and as I said before, refer to them as allegory. To, to read them in the context of our human experience as a traditional myth that explains good and evil that we see around us. That's, that's in our Western world, that is our way. In our liberal kind of humanistic universities, that's how we would study the Bible as an allegory that was simply writ written out of the human experience to explain the human experience. That's not the deal. This is historical account. The scripture actually is using this as a historical account. This is our reality. Whether you believe it or not, it doesn't matter if you believe it. How many know that truth doesn't depend on your belief? How many know if I step off this stage and I don't believe there's gravity, I'm going to drop to the floor? Doesn't matter what I believe, truth and reality is reality and truth, no matter where we stand or where we come out on it. Now last week we talked about the Trinity. And, and when we got to the Holy Spirit, we, we said he's, he's not just a power, he's not just an energy, he's not just a, an equipping kind of a force that we have, but rather he's a person of the Godhead. He is, he is a person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. The same is true in this world as it pertains to evil. It's not just a power or a presence. Evil has a name. The father of lies, the prince of the skies, his name is Satan, and he has an army of fallen angels called demons that are prowling this world with an agenda against God, and the only way they can get at God is to destroy the ones who were made in the image of God, humanity. He continues to lead his rebellion against God. But even in the midst of this reality, we must remember that the, for those who have given their lives to Jesus Christ, Jesus has equipped and released you with discernment and authority. So let's switch gears for a moment. Let's talk about angels. Angels are created beings as well. Now, now it's interesting when you study the words in the Hebrew and the Greek, both the Hebrew and the Greek, that, that we translate in our Bible as angels, okay? We translate it as angels. But perhaps a better translation for our ling English language would be messengers. 
messengers. We see many instances throughout Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament. Uh, for those of you are, that are new to faith or exploring faith with us, the Old Testament is before Jesus. It's the creation and the narrative of Israel and, and God moving through that nation and God revealing himself. And then the New Testament starts with the, the birth and the life of Jesus and then it extends into the early church. But angels throughout Scripture were messengers to declare God's truth and God's purposes. Of course, the most famous would be Gabriel coming to Mary and foretelling the birth of Jesus. And many of us would know that from the Christmas story. Now you might be asking, why should I care? Um, there's an interesting verse that is written in, in, by the writer of Hebrews. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to just, just flip to Hebrews uh, 13, real quick. Hebrews 13. This is such an interesting little passage of Scripture that we, we don't often talk about, we don't often think about. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your U version, grab your phone. You can pull your phone out in church. No one's going to judge you. It's all good. Hebrews 13. And let's start verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That's interesting. That's interesting. The writer here would say, hey, don't neglect love. You need to love one another. You need to extend love to one another. You need to extend not just love, but in action, hospitality towards even strangers, even people you don't know. Because sometimes, sometimes, you're actually entertaining angels. And we see accounts of this throughout Scripture. It's interesting, when I lived in Winnipeg, I worked at a sawmill. And I lived south Winnipeg. I worked in east Winnipeg in, a, in an area called Transcona. And so I would go to the sawmill, and then I would drive home. And, and at this particular time, I was coming off of a night shift, a graveyard shift, and I was just dog-tired. I was so tired. Uh, it's those moments when you transition from evenings to graveyard and you're just trying to get your biological clock working and it's not working out so well and I'm exhausted. So I'm driving home and I'll never forget it. There's this car, there's this feeder road. So the perimeter highway is a highway and then there's a ditch and then there's a gravel feeder road right next. And I remember driving and I'm a young guy, okay? I'm in a hurry to get home. So I wasn't driving slow. So this is what's interesting about this, is I remember driving past and I saw this car with the hood up and this man leaning over and as I drove by, he just looked at me like this. And the thing that struck me about this man is he had kind of this Michael W. Smith thing going on, you know, like nice, like Derek's guy, he's got that nice thing going on that I'm so jealous of that I can't grow. But what struck me was his eyes. His eyes were so bright, like just full of life. Um, and so I'm driving, and so I just drive by. I'm going like 100 and I won't say what I was going. And I just drive by, and then I feel the Spirit of God and just, just speak to me. He says, go back and help him. Like, right? You know the argument. God, I'm tired. I don't even know that. Like, I'm sure he has a cell phone, you know, at least, you know, back in the days it was a flip one. Um, 
And I just argue with God, and then finally, you, you, you know how you argue with God, and then it's just like, okay, I, I, I can't, you win. So I took the next off-ramp, I made a U-turn, I came back the other side of the highway, back to where he was, and then I come back across, and I come back to where he was, and I'm, I'm looking around, I don't see any dust clouds, I don't see any, there's only like one or two ways to go, and he was pointed that way, so I thought for sure I would, I would see him, and nothing. Nothing. So then I get back on the highway and I just keep driving. And I'm like, God, what was that? Like, why would you send me back there if you know full well the guy's not going to be there anymore? And in that moment, it was, it was just amazing. In that moment, I heard the Spirit of God say to me, Lucas, if I can trust you in the little things, I can trust you in greater things. Now, I'm not saying that was an angel. I'm not going to say that to you. You can, you can dig with that. I believe it was. I have no idea where that guy went, how he got, nothing. But in that moment, God used an individual or whatever to point me back to his plans and his purposes. Point me back to his plans and his purposes. And I tell you that story not to get you looking for angels everywhere that you turn, but I tell you that story because I believe God uses his angels at times as messengers to help point us back to his plan and his purposes and his intentions for our lives. You see, in the end, the ministry of angels is all about God's plan, his purpose, and his glory. And this is why we're forbidden. We are absolutely forbidden to worship angels. Because they are created beings. And, and in fact, their purpose is to point everyone back to God. Back to the worship of God. Back to the glory of God. And that's why Scripture commands that we are not to worship angels. So in this context, let's get back to the main thing. Jesus has equipped and released you with discernment and authority. And here's why this is so important to understand as we talk about angels and demons and, and the reality of a spiritual world that has been so, at times, misrepresented and misunderstood. And let me ask you a question. I was going to ask um, who has, but I think the better question is who has not seen Star Wars? Who has not seen Star Wars? Wow. We have, we have a good contingent. <laughs> Well, you can shut off for a little bit here. Put your feet up. Take a moment. Star Wars is this story, this, this, this script that turned into a movie that, that speaks of good versus evil. And it's got the force. It's got the good side of the force. And it's got what? The dark side of the force. And, and it's a concept that we, we in, in theological worlds, we would call it dualism. Two opposing yet powerful forces that make this world go round. You know, the Chinese, they have a philosophy, yin and yang, right? This is dualism. And they see it necessary for both to balance the world. Now, their creation story is that everything came out of absolute chaos, that's how they explain creation. Well, the biblical narrative, the biblical worldview is God created. God brought absolute order in creation. 
And so very different ideas. And so that's why we don't carry this dualism, this good versus evil, two equal opposing forces in this world. That's not the biblical worldview in any way, shape, or form. The problem with this pervasive idea is that many of us have been lulled into this overinflating of the power of the enemy, Satan. We at times end up picturing Satan as this equal opposing force to God. This couldn't be further from the truth, and this couldn't be more damaging to the life of a believer in Jesus. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 9 to 11, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. You know what, let's, let's go verse 8. Let's go verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives... And he gave gifts to men. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is actually quoting Psalm 68, verse 16 here. When he's explaining what Jesus did in the resurrection. And John Stott, he says this, it'll be up on the screen. He says this about this reference in the book of Ephesians. He says, Paul applies this picture to Christ's ascension. Not arbitrarily, because he detected a vague analogy between the two, but justifiably because he saw in the exaltation of Jesus a further fulfillment of this description of the triumph of God. Christ ascended as conqueror to the Father's right hand, his train of captives being the principalities and powers he had defeated, dethroned, and disarmed. This is what happened when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He led these captives. Essentially, he took the enemy of our soul and he made a public display in the spiritual realm that they are absolutely defeated. That they are defeated in Christ Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, he made a profound declaration to both humanity and the spiritual world about this new reality. You see, the Old Testament, it always had the promise of the defeat of Satan and his demons. But this act of Jesus is the declaration of the promise being fulfilled in him. Jesus has equipped and released you with discernment and authority. You have been given authority to come against the kingdom of darkness wherever you might find it. But there's a reality that we must be painfully aware of. Though Satan is nowhere near God's equal or an opposing force, he is deceptive in how he wields what little power he has in this world. 1 Timothy Chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. These are demons. This is the agenda of Satan, the rooted in the rebellion. 
will devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seared. Paul is writing this to Timothy as a pastor in the local church. And he's warning him that some are going to go off course being deceived. And he's talking about church people, by the way. He's not just talking, he's not talking about the world in general. He's talking about within the context of local church. That some are going to go astray because of the schemes of Satan. Satan comes as an angel of light. He comes with an agenda that we're always looking for it to just look horribly wrong. And that's not how Satan operates. He takes, and, and he, by the way, Satan has no power to create anything new. He's not a creator. He's a created being. So he has no power to create something new. So what does he do? He takes what is created and he twists it just enough. Just enough to put you off course. Just enough. It's not abhorrent. It's not hugely uh, observable. But just enough. He'll take God's creation, God's truth, God's principles, God's mandates, twist it just enough to lead you away from Jesus, to lead you away from grace and mercy, to lead you even to things like legalism and acts of doing, doing, doing to earn your salvation. He will take the church in as many ways as he can away from the truth of God's word. And this is how Satan operates. Now you might read this out of, out of 1 Timothy and, and say, surely these teachings, they, they, they would just be so pervasive and so counter-biblical. Um, have you ever... You've heard the analogy, and I think I've shared it here before, counterfeiters, experts in counterfeit money, what do they do? Do they study every counterfeit that's out there? No, they study the real thing, right? They know the real thing inside and out. And here is why it's so important that we know the real thing inside and out. This is why we say, and Satan, he's created a world where it is so hard to get into this word on a regular basis. Like, we have to fight so much noise to get into this thing. But here's the reality. Unless we're in the Bible, unless we're reading the scriptures, unless we know what the real thing is, the enemy of our soul will come in and he'll twist it just enough, just enough that it puts you off course. That it takes your family off course. That it takes your children off course. Just enough. Just enough. Back in the Garden of Eden, we see him taking God's word and he casts doubt on its meaning. He says to Eve, right at the very beginning, here's what he says. Did God really say? You ever read that before? Did God really is that what he really meant? Was he just being metaphorical? Was he just being allegorical? Did he mean that literally you can't eat? Look how good this fruit looks. Did God really say? And he cast doubts on the intentions and the promises and the principles of God. But Jesus has equipped and released you with discernment. 
and authority. And I want to talk about three keys to discernment. Three keys to discernment. Number one, discernment is the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the believer. How many know it's the Holy Spirit that authored this book? Through many authors, through many people, but it's the Holy Spirit that authored this. It's truth. But it's also the Holy Spirit that walks with us today in the here and now, in your everyday life, wherever you might be, giving us reminders of God's truth and God's word, revealing God's truth and God's word to us. At times, this is that still small voice or that feeling that something is off. And this is important because there are times when truth is being stated, but the spirit behind that truth is not God. Here's a great example. In Philippi, Paul and Silas, they're ministering in Philippi. And in Acts 16, verses 16 to 17, it says this, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Okay, She had a demonic spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying out. Here's what she was crying out. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Wow. Wow. Was she proclaiming truth? Was what she was saying true? Yeah. These are men of God proclaiming the way of salvation. She was, she was actually proclaiming truth. The spirit of darkness in her was proclaiming truth through her. And yet we read on and Paul gets so annoyed. It actually says annoyed. He gets annoyed. And he turns around and he casts this demon. Because what? Because Paul knew that Jesus has given him and released him with discernment and authority. And so in Jesus' name, he cast that demon out. We need discernment, particularly in this day and this age. Because we need to know not just is, is it true, but is the spirit behind that truth of God or is there an agenda behind the spirit that is not of God? Just taking us, just mm, enough off course. Number two, discernment is built and equipped the more we get into the Word of God, the more that we get into the Word of God, we need to know the truth so we can readily identify the lie. We need to know the truth so we can readily identify the lie. And third, discernment is best done in the context of communities of faith. Discernment is best done in the context of communities of of faith. There is safety and accountability when we walk this out together. The writer of Proverbs says there is safety in a multitude of counsel. So Jesus has equipped and released you with discernment and authority. And here's how we're going to close today. And I'm just going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask Orville if you could just grab Lisa in the preteen room and she's going to lead some stuff in here that would be fantastic. And here's how we're going to close today. I just, as, as I was preparing this sermon, um, so often what we do in church is, is we, pre we present theory. Right? That's, sometimes that's essentially what we do. We present theory, and then we ask you to begin to 
take steps to, to prove that in your own lives, in your own way, in your own context, all of that. Okay? Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to walk in this discernment and this authority that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a few caveats that I just want to just say. If you're here with us today and you're just exploring faith in Jesus and this is new to you and, and again, we're so glad we're, you're here and we want this to be a safe place for you to be able to explore faith in Jesus. So if that's you, you are so welcome to just observe. Just hang out and observe. Just, just see what happens. Watch what happens. And that's totally awesome. We're so glad that you're here. The second thing I want to say, we're going to have two groups. And, and here's what we're going to do, just, just so you're aware. I'm going to lead one group. And this is everybody that you feel like you're able-bodied, okay? You're able-bodied. You're going to be able to take a walk. We're going to take a walk to the corner of our property. We're going to look out over our neighbors, our future neighbors over here, as representative of our, of our community. And we're going to take some time to just pray to discern together, and perhaps even pray out if the Lord leads you to declare God's blessing where the enemy would love to declare the curse, to declare and discern what the enemy is doing in our town, and to step out in authority and pray the purposes and the plans of the kingdom of God in Powell River. Okay? So if you're able-bodied and you would like to, to follow me out, we're actually going to go outside. We're going to go to the corner of the lot. We're going to take some time to pray. I'll give more direction once we're there. If you are not, if you don't feel comfortable going out and walking over there, Lisa's going to lead a group in here. And so she's just going to lead in prayer here. And so if that's you, you are more than welcome to stay in here if you're visiting with us and exploring faith with us, you can choose to come out and hang out with us outside or stay in here. It's totally up to you. We want you to just be absolutely comfortable in whatever you do. So if that's you, here's what we're going to do. Follow me. We're going to head out and we're going to pray. We're going to practice what we're preaching here today. We're going to step out in faith and believe that God can change everything when his people humble themselves and pray. So if that's you, grab your stuff. You can leave your stuff. People will be in here. Um, or you can grab your purses, ladies. That, that's totally cool, too. No one's going to feel bad or judge you. <laughs>